Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. All right, now, do you know what else I think is worthy of celebration? Fall. I think fall is worthy of celebration. Now, I know it was 100 degrees when you walked in here today, but my calendar still says that it's fall, and it is my favorite season. Like, I am all about fall colors. If you wore the fall color today, like, I'm feeling you on, like, a spiritual level, right? I totally get that. I'm all about fall football. Come on, somebody, right? I like the fall beverages. I'm not really into the whole pumpkin thing. I think it's highly overrated, but, you know, if you're not into it, it's it's your... It's okay. It's all right. But I am excited about fall. It has always been my favorite season, even living here in Florida. But I gained a whole new appreciation for it during a season that I spent working in Chicago. Do we have anybody from Chicago in the house today? Yep, I thought there might be. Well, you all have seasons, right? And fall ended up being my favorite season of the year out there. I mean, they don't just have the colors. Like, they got the leaves, right? The other thing they had is that they had these fall festivals, I kid you not, every single weekend between September and November. And I've been to a fall festival. I like the pumpkin patch, but growing up in Tampa, I had never experienced a corn maze. Like I'd never even heard of a corn maze. I'm like, what is that stuff that's 10 feet tall? And why is there like a closet, you know, through it? Like what is up with that? How many of you ever been to a corn maze? Okay, so you know all about them, right? You know that they are basically these 10, 12 foot corn stalks that they kind of like make a path all the way through. And there's twists and there's turns and there are dead ends. And the whole goal, like the, the, the process is actually really simple. Your whole goal is to begin here and end here, right? The process of the corn, malt, corn maze, if I can talk, get the words out of my mouth, is easy, but it's not necessarily simple. Because as you're going through it, you get stuck here and you get turned around here and you lose your sense of direction here. And so I learned that there's really only two rules. The first rule is this, go to the bathroom before you go into the maze, right? Straight up, that's the first thing you've gotta know. You have to go to the bathroom because you might be there for a while. So note to self when you're going to one, that's the first thing you gotta do. The second thing you gotta do is you've gotta keep putting one foot in front of the other because you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna get stuck, you're gonna get twisted, you're gonna get turned, you're gonna get dead stopped, and you've gotta keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you know, as we were leaving the maze that day, we were really just kind of talking about how much the corn maze is really a metaphor for life, right? You start, you stop, you get stuck in the process, you learn from your mistakes, and you keep moving forward. Somebody just needs to hear that this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with, but somebody just needs to hear this morning, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? Somebody needs to be encouraged by that. And that's one of the reasons that we are taking the time to focus on our current series that we are calling Killing Spiders. Killing Spiders. And it's because that we want to help you identify the things in life, the things that are holding you back from experiencing all that God has for you. Holding you back from becoming the person that God wants you to be experiencing things that are holding you back from from fulfilling your purpose in life, holding you back from experiencing the freedom that we just sang about. Some of us are singing about freedom, but we're not living freedom. And God says, I want to deal with those things in your life. Now, last week, Pastor Brent did an amazing job, as he always does, right? He kicked off this series. Come on, we can clap that in for him. He did an amazing job. And he shared with us that sometimes there are these things called spiders in our life. These spiders that are actually hindering us. And for those of you who weren't here last week or may just need a refresher because that was so last week, (laughs) spiders are the lies that we believe. Spiders are the lies that we believe and we allow them to occupy our lives and we allow them to lead the direction of our lives. And here's the deal, we all have been exposed to lies. Lies that come from the enemy of our soul, lies that come from culture, lies that come from people in our lives, lies that we even whisper out of our own mouths. 
And the problem isn't that we're exposed to lies because as long as you live on planet earth, you and I are going to be exposed to lies. The problem is, is when we believe them, when we begin to partner with them, as we do what I call dancing with the devil with his blue dress on with them, right? Like we are literally becoming one with those lies. And when we do that, either consciously or subconsciously, we are giving them the ability to focus us and twist and turn and run into dead ends that we didn't have to hit otherwise. We really didn't have to hit them otherwise. The maze of life is complicated enough without allowing spiders and lies to lead us in different directions. And you know, Pastor Brent asked if I would come to Brandon today and if I would preach on um, a topic to preach and really to tell you about a spider that has significantly impacted my life for longer of my life than I care to talk about. And he said, I want you to come and share it with them because I believe that others share your spider, that there are others that are navigating a similar spider in your life. And you know, reality is, is that there's a part of me that didn't really want to do that because it's personal and it's private and it doesn't always put me in the best light. But then I thought, you know, this is a room that I can trust. This is a room I can be vulnerable. This is a room that's not going to judge me because you love me, whether you just met me or not. And, and I'm going to like test that theory a little bit. And I'm going to tell you that sometimes church people, we can be a little religious. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about the 11 o'clock service. I am totally talking about the nine o'clock service, right? If you come to church at 9 a.m., you're probably a little religious. But the reality is, is that sometimes we can get a little religious and we can go, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, you, uh uh-huh, I know that because I don't have that issue. So I'm going to test it. I'm just going to test the waters before I go there and I'm going to see whether or not I can trust you. You see, a few years ago, a while back, I was teaching adult Sunday school class at my home church and it was Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday in our church was the kind where you just dressed up. Like the wives were matching the husband and the husbands were matching the kids and everybody had their new threads on and they were, you know, prancing and pruning and spinning and twirling and and it was just a thing, right? Everybody looked good and there was just a thing. I've never seen so much pastel in all my life, but it was a thing. And there was a particular gentleman that was in my Sunday school class that I guess he just had about enough of it. And so he stood up and he said, Sister Tina, And he said it a whole lot like that. He said, aren't you glad that when we get to heaven, all we're going to wear is our glorious white robes. And I didn't really think before responding. I said, oh, brother Todd, heck no. When I finally get to heaven and finally get a glorified body, I'm walking around butt naked. You've been warned. If God puts you on my street in heaven, you have been warned. Note to self, note to self. But the reality is, is that sometimes it's easier, it's cleaner, it's safer to let us keep on our religious clothes rather than taking off our dirty laundry and saying, I've got some stuff that needs to go to a holy laundry mat. And I had some stuff in my life that needed to go through a holy laundry mat. You see, there was a spider in my life for a long time. And my spider is my spider. It might be your spider. It might be a different spider. But my spider was the spider of greed and materialism. Thank you for not looking shocked. You just showed me I can trust you. Thank you for that. You see, your spider might be lust. It might be pride. It might be gossip. I don't don't know what yours is or what yours was. But mine, mine was greed and mine was materialism. And I'm betting right now that those of you in the room who know me and know me well probably look at me and go, nah, PT, not you. And others of you in the room are curious to hear the story. But some of you in the room just went, whew, she didn't touch mine. I'm good today. (laughs) She's not getting all up in my business today. But here's what I want to say to you. Jesus And the Bible addresses this topic of greed and materialism over 70 times in scripture. That's not seven, it's not zero, it's seven zero. And the very fact that it is brought up 70 times in scripture tells us that there is something about this topic, that there is something about this spider that we need to pay attention to. In fact, in the book of Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, he says, watch out. You look at your neighbor and just say, watch out. 
He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And the reality is, is the very fact that he says that tells us that greed has the ability to impact us all. Look at your neighbor and say, she's talking to you. Look at your other neighbor and say, she's talking to you. Greed has the ability, materialism has the ability to impact every single one of us. And that's why the Lord is saying, watch out. But I think that the reason that we struggle to see it in ourselves, the reason I struggle to see it in myself is because there is this society stereotype of what we think it looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I think of the Wolf of Wall Street. I really wanted to play you a clip of it, but I couldn't find a clip where the F-bomb wasn't dropped like, you know, three times every 10 seconds. I sent it to Pastor Brent and I said, can you clean this up? He said, not even Jesus can clean this up. <laughs> not an option. But we think of the Wolf of Wall Street. We think of Material Girl. We think of Ebenezer Scrooge. And we think that these are the examples. But remember that Jesus said to guard against all kinds of greed and materialism. And so this doesn't tell the whole story. And it doesn't tell my story. You see, my story of greed and materialism wasn't birthed because I grew up poor. And it wasn't birthed because I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. It grew up in an environment of lack. It grew up in an environment of lack, not poverty, but lack. You see, my parents both came from families who experienced serious economic challenges. And the implications of the environment that they grew up in caused them to bring some lies and some beliefs into adulthood and into their marriage and into parenting. And as a result of that, though they were two of the hardest working people that I have ever met, their relationship with money was unhealthy. My parents were always working for the next dollar. In fact, my little sister will tell you that I'm the one who raised her. Up until I moved out of our home, I'm the one that raised her because they were always working. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. There was never a moment in our home that there was not a roof over our head, ever. There was never a moment on our table that there was not something to eat. But I can tell you that for a variety of reasons, I always felt like there wasn't enough, that there wasn't enough to go around. And I can tell you that growing up as an adolescent girl, there were things I wanted, things that I desired that were not available to me. And that created a soil in my heart that said that there isn't enough. And because my family is not giving me enough, I must not be enough either. You see, want and lack is a very, very dangerous cocktail. And anytime there is want in your life, you gotta run to the Father and say, here is what I want. It is not up to this person or that person or the other person's mother, father, or granddad to give it to you. You gotta go to God and say, this is what I want. And anytime there is a feeling of lack, that feeling of there is not enough, there's not enough to go around. And somebody in this room, give me a shout out. Tell me that you have felt it too. Right. Right? That moment where you're like, I, I just, I need more. If you don't deal with the want and the lack, it will create the conditions in your heart for a spider to begin to grow, for a lie to begin to grow. Now, my father was, um, he was what some might call a scrapper right? My daddy loved his garage sales and he loved his flea markets and it was completely his thing. In fact, if you're old enough to know who this is, we used to say that my daddy was the original Sanford of Sanford and Sons, right? That was my dad. We were going to buy him a truck because he needed it out there for all of his junk. Like that was just a hundred percent his thing. And he loved, like he loved his family so much that it was his desire to provide for his family. And so he provided the the only way he knew how he would go off to garage sales and he would go off to his flea markets and he would come home with treasures but if I can get really real with you for a moment his treasures didn't delight me the way they did him they embarrassed me 
You see, while other kids were wearing Jordache jeans, anybody remember those? I was wearing Kmart jeans. And other kids had real Keds. I had what we called Bobos. We got them at the dollar store. And while other girls were out shopping for homecoming dresses, I borrowed mine. And when it was time for senior yearbooks, every day I would say, oh, I forgot my money again. Because that month money was tight in our house and I knew better than to even ask. And some might say in in that environment, well, Pastor Tina, your story is not that tragic. You're right, it's not. It's not as tragic as other people's story and, and may not even be as tragic as your story. But it doesn't take much. And remember, Jesus said, watch out for all kinds of greed. The environment doesn't have to be tragic for greed and materialism to grow inside of our heart. But it was tragic enough for me And in that scenario, I also didn't have a strong relationship with the Lord. You see, we were what we call Sunday Christians. God owned my Sunday morning, but let's get really, really real. I owned Monday through Saturday. I sat on the throne of my own life. I did what I wanted when I wanted. And that environment was such that it created the opportunity for a belief system to become a lie. I can take you back to the journal where I wrote in it as a middle school girl, if I am ever going to be somebody, and if I am ever going to have some things, I am going to have to get them myself. I can take you back to the point of time where those words actually came out of my mouth. And even though I could memorize at that point, and I could quote to you Philippians 4.19 that says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Even though I knew that that was what the Bible said, the reality was is that the lie felt more true in my life than the truth. And this is why you and I as believers, we have got to get in our word. And we've got to read the word and we've got to quote the word and we've got to bathe in the word and we've got to meditate on the word because it's the word that pushes out the lie. But some of us, we know the word, but we don't try to live out the word. And so we dance with the lie. We negotiate with the lie. We argue with the lie. We talk back to the lie. We ask somebody to pray for the lie, but we don't reject the lie and replace it with truth. And that's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we have to learn to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We have to take our thoughts and we have to examine them through the lens of God's word and we have to find truth. And then we have to tell that lie, you are a liar and you do not get to boss me around, right? Right? You gotta talk to your spiders, but you don't negotiate with them, you tear them down. Because if you don't, you'll begin to build cobwebs in your life. And again, for those of you who weren't here last week, cobwebs are, they're the medicators of life, if you will. They're they're the things that bring false comfort to the lie. It's the girl that sleeps with every guy she can meet on Friday night or the guy that does the same because somebody needs to tell them that they're worthy. It's the fourth glass of wine at the end of the day because God knows you need the stress to go. It's the pint of ice cream on a Saturday night that just comforts a little bit of the loneliness. And it's the workaholic tendencies because the truth of the matter is you just don't want to go home. We all have them. Cobwebs that we comfort ourselves with because we're too whatever to deal with the lie. My cobweb showed up in the form of my spending habits. I bought what I want, when I wanted, because gosh, gosh darn it, I, I deserved it. I bought every name brand there was, even if there was something better that wasn't a name brand, because I had been deprived of them as a child and as a teenager. By the time I was 18 years old, I had 18 credit cards. I thought y'all said you were not gonna judge me. <laughs> Take it back. The reality was is that I was empty on the inside and I was looking for something. I was looking for anything to fill that up. And so I chased money. 
I chased it in my corporate career. I chased it in credit cards. I chased it in every way that I could. I bought more than I needed because the truth of the matter was I was terrified that at some point the money was going to go away. I was the best at my job because I was terrified that the job would go away. And I needed the status and I needed the security and I needed the stuff. And it didn't matter that in that season, hear me on this, I made enough. Friends, I made more than enough. But you can make more than enough. You can have all kinds of stuff and still feel like you are not good enough on the inside. And that was my life. I didn't feel good enough. Enough was never enough. Because deep down, I believed that I wasn't good enough without the stuff. And that if God really loved me, he would give me the stuff. So he must not have thought that I was worth it either. Now you would have never known that looking at me on the outside because I'm confident and I'm strong and I'm not gonna let you peek behind the curtain. And as I look out at this room, y'all look good today, y'all. You look smart and you look strong and you look confident and you look successful. But in a recent study of American spending habits, it, th th this is what I found is that I was not alone. You see, it revealed that 52% of Americans have more than $6,000 in revolving credit card debt. And more than 15% has more than $15,000 in credit card debt. I'm not talking student loans, I'm not talking cars, I'm not talking houses, I'm not talking personal loans, I'm talking credit card debt. And that same study showed that 54% of those people are living paycheck to paycheck. They are one crisis away from absolute disaster. And couple that report with the same report that said that one in 10 Americans actually have external storage units. Like if you put a patch of ground down in Brandon, we're either gonna put an apartment on it or we're gonna put a storage unit on it. Like that's what we do in Brandon. Why? Because we have all this stuff. And if that doesn't catch you, the same report said, said, let's see if we find you in this one, one in four cannot even get their car into their garage because of all their stuff. Wow. Now, if I'm stepping on your toes right now, just remember this. I love you. <laughs> and the reality is, is that sometimes the truth is painful. And it hurts, but the same surgery that brings healing can also wound for just a moment. All of that together tells us that America has a spending problem. We have a materialism problem. We have a, a greed problem. And in case you're wondering, this has been a problem since Jesus walked the earth. But the good news is that God loves us so much that he spoke up on this topic over 70 times. And this morning he says, I have something to say to my church if they're willing and open to hear what, it has to, what I have to say. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, you can open them up, turn them on, flip them open, do whatever you do, or just look at the screens. That's easy too. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21, as you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of context. As Luke chapter 12 begins, we see that Jesus is around a crowd once again. And around that crowd, he is beginning to teach them and he is talking to them specifically on the topic of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is simply just pretending to be something that you are actually not. And some of us walk around like we are rich and man, we have got it going on. But if we pulled your credit report, if we looked into our hearts, would we find the same truth in the private that we see in the public? And he's talking to them about that. He's talking to them about having an authentic life. Yeah. And he's talking to them about having an authentic relationship with him and not letting that the words we sing be in worship, be our worship, but to truly worship with our whole lives. And it's there in the middle of this teaching that he's doing that a man interrupts him and he says this beginning in verse 13. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus is teaching on hypocrisy. 
And he says, tell him to do this. And Jesus replies to him and he says, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between the two of you? It was kind of funny on Main Street between the first service and second service, two sisters walked up to me and they said, Pastor Tina, can you pray for us? My sister withheld the inheritance from me. And I laughed for a second and said, woman, who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between the two of you? And then we dealt with the issue. It's okay. He said to them, the phrase, the, 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 the verse that we talked about earlier, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundant of riches. Now, it's important for you to understand that it wasn't uncommon when a rabbi was teaching that people would bring them their problems. And so it wouldn't have been completely out of the norm that somebody would have interrupted Jesus to say, hey, we've got this issue and we want to talk about it. But it's interesting to me that Jesus is talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about having an authentic relationship with him. And the thing that the person chooses to bring up in that moment is the very thing that was hindering him from an authentic moment with Jesus. You know, sometimes we're just talking on to Jesus, talking on to Jesus, talking on to Jesus, praying on to Jesus, praying on to Jesus. And Jesus just interrupts us and says, can we talk about that right there? Can we talk about right there? And while it initially looks like Jesus rebukes him, make no mistake, Jesus cared about his issue. He cares about your issues, but he cares more about the condition of our heart than he does our circumstances. And so here, Jesus decides that he is going to have a teachable moment and he's gonna deal with the matter at hand. Or may I say it this way, the heart of the matter at hand. And so Jesus tells him a parable. A parable is a story about some form of truth that's being told in story form. And so he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now what's happening right there before we go any further? He's telling a parable. Now, the parable is not the truth of this man. However, he's telling him a parable to get to the root of the truth in this man. And so there must have been something about what Jesus is saying in the parable that was reflecting what was going on inside of this man's heart right here. And this man's heart was that, I am tired of working. I am tired of stressing. I'm tired of any of that. I want more, more, more so that I have enough, enough, enough. And then I can take life easy, easy, easy. But God says to him in the parable, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I want you to notice Jesus is using this parable not to rebuke the man that he had stuff. The problem isn't when we have stuff. The problem happens when stuff has us, when it has our heart, when it has gripped our heart, when it's driving the direction of our heart, when it's distracting us from an authentic relationship with Jesus. And that can be when we have too much stuff and when we don't have enough stuff. The relationship with Jesus was impacted here. Did you notice all of the my words here? He said, my barn, my grain, myself. It's all about my, my, my. It reminds me of a time when my daughter was about two years old. She's 23 now, but I had gone on a business trip to Washington, D.C., and I brought her home this little teddy bear, this little brown teddy bear. And when I handed it to her, she went, mine. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? But then for the rest week, everything was mine, 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 mine. And I thought, oh, good Lord, it's a generational curse. History is repeating itself. <laughs> and that is until her preschool teacher told me that they were learning the words me, my, and mine at school. And she simply recognized that it was hers. But let's be really clear. There is nothing that you and I have in this earth that is mine or that is yours. You and I are not owners. We are stewards. I don't care what it says on the bank statement. God has given us things to steward for his glory. Yeah. 
They're not mine. They're not ours. And so he is addressing that inside of this man's heart. But I also want you to notice that Jesus uses the word rich twice. And the first time he uses it, he uses it as a descriptor in the parable. He said a certain rich man. Now I believe that what he was saying to the man that was actually talking to him is, dude, you are rich. The very fact that you have grain, the very fact that you have barns, the very fact that you have that means that you have rich. But in the same way you and I have stereotypes for what a greedy person looks like, you and I also have stereotypes for what a rich person looks like. If you can go on 2.3 vacations a year, you are rich. And if you own your own home, you are rich. And if you have a savings account with three months supply in it of money, you are rich. Can I tell you the definition of rich, the real definition here on planet earth? It means that you have enough to share. We don't think about it that way in our American world. But if you have enough to share, if you have bread that you can break apart and say you have half and I have half, you and I, my friends are rich. And he was saying to this man, you are already wealthy. You already have enough. And then he goes on and he says to them, the problem isn't that you don't have enough, that you're not rich. The problem is, is that you're rich in the wrong way. You're not rich towards God. And it's okay if you've got lots of stuff and lots of money and lots of status, as long as you're walking in authentic relationship with Jesus, as long as he is sitting on the throne of your life. You see, scripture tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 what it means to truly be rich towards God as we read this. Do, do a heart check. To what degree are you wealthy today? Scripture says to us, beginning in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world, do not be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you see that word enjoyment? It doesn't just say that, that he meets all of our needs. It says for our enjoyment. He goes on and it says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and, and be willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Some of us are living, but we are not enjoying life. We've got stuff, we've got status, we've got success, we've got people in our life, we've got things, but we're not really living. We're not really experiencing the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. And this passage talks to us and it tells us that being rich is about having that relationship with God where we realize that he is our great hope. He is not just our savior, he is our provider as well. And in many ways, this man, like me, he wanted status, but more than that, he wanted security. He wanted more than enough. I believe that on some level, he would feel like he was fully enough. And I wonder how many of you today walked in looking good, smelling fine, driving a car with four wheels, two wheels, whatever it is. But if we sat down over a cup of coffee, you would say, Pastor Tina, most days I don't feel anywhere close to enough. There's something in me that's missing. As I live and breathe and sit in church, there's something that's missing. Jesus, being so in tune with the Father's heart, continued to teach his disciples after this encounter. In the presence of this man, written for you and for me, scripture says that he continued on and he says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself so that they will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's as though Jesus were saying to this man, son, I'm, I'm not going to get in the middle of this inheritance issue. I'm not going to fight for you in the middle of this. You and... 
your brother need to go work it out, but I am gonna offer you something that's greater. I'm gonna offer you a treasure that you can't buy. And when I give it to you, it's gonna change your life if you're willing to accept it. And it's right there, it's right there in this passage that we find the kingdom principle, the antidote, if you will, for greed. You see, the antidote for greed is generosity. The antidote for greed is generosity. I love the way Pastor Andy Stanley says it. He says, greed is the assumption that the excess is for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that the excess is for my consumption. And the reality is, is that our appetite for stuff and status and security is rooted in the lie that God is not enough and we are not enough without our stuff. That's the lie. And in the season that that I was asking God to, to set me free, in that season that I had become aware that, that I had a heart problem, I asked the Lord, God, would you show me the root of this? Like, where did this thing begin? We have this incredible ministry here. It's called a sozo ministry. It's an inner healing ministry. And it's a ministry that helps you and I get to the roots of our issues. Well, because I'm trained in it, I just went into a bedroom and decided to sozo myself. And I'm having a conversation with God and like a movie theater, he began to show me in my mind a picture of myself. And I was a middle school girl. And in the, in the vision, if you will, that I saw in my mind, I was in the lunchroom at my middle school. And I had taken my, my tray up to dump it, my lunch tray. And I turned around and for just a moment, I looked out over the sea of kids that were in the lunchroom. And for whatever reason, as I stood there in my Kmart jeans, all I saw were kids in their cool jeans and in their cool sneakers. And I stood there and and a song began to play as God was unpacking this for me. Now I will tell you, I don't sing. I can tell you, here's the deal, I can't sing. But you need to hear the song that was playing in my head. You see, as I stood there watching myself, watch these cool kids, I heard this song in my head say, I wish that I could be like the cool kids, be like the cool kids. I wish that I could be like the cool kids. And the Lord showed me that right there, I had bought into the lie that I needed all this stuff to be good enough. But here's the lie. The lie was, I need the stuff. You wanna know what the truth was? I already was the cool kid. I'm still the cool kid. Ladies, let me talk to you for a minute. Some of us think that it's the size of our thighs that are holding us back. But it's not the size of our thighs. It's the size of the lies that we're believing about ourselves. And if we will get a perspective of who we are from his vantage point, everything will shift for us everything will shift for us. The reality is, is that truth trumps lies and generosity trumps greed. It's what kills the spider. There is an antidote for every single spider bite that you have actually experienced. Now the reality is, is that we don't know the outcome of this man's story, right? We don't know whether he actually went away and did what the Lord suggested in the parable. We don't know whether he sold some of his grain or he gave some away or he decided to be generous. We don't know what the outcome was, but I can tell you that God offered me the exact same antidote that he offered this man. You see, over a period of time, as God began to show me the root that was in my heart, and he began to show me how if I would drink the antidote of generosity, that I would be able to walk in financial freedom. He began to say to me, the first thing he asked me to do is he asked me to quit my corporate job. I was the breadwinner in my family, and he said, I want you to leave that job. I want you to let me be your security. I want you to let me be your status. I want you to let me provide for you. And I would love to tell you that I said, yes, Lord, hallelujah, I've been wanting to check out of here all year. But I argued with God for six solid months, every day grappling with him, every single day. 
Until one day he finally said, Tina, you will never know love until you surrender to it. And I knew that I was never gonna really know him until I got all of the stuff out of the way that was in between me and him. And so I quit my job. And you would have thought, okay, well that was enough, but that wasn't enough. He began to say, I want you to sell your stuff. Do you really need 27 purses? Do you really need all of those shoes? Do you really need, and it wasn't just the excess. You see, in my life, God began to ask me to get rid of everything. I sold my bed, I sold my couch, I sold my dining room table, he made me sell my books. <laughs> okay, it's all right, it's all good. Like, like, we all have our stuff, right, guys? That might be tools for you. But I sold the things that were hindering our relationship, so much so that I sold our home. And I moved my daughter and I with the clothes that were on our back and were in a suitcase to what I called our Barbie cottage compared to the house that we were living in. And I would love to tell you that the believers in my life, the Christians in my life, I would love to tell you that they celebrated my obedience to the Lord. But they were like, you have lost your everlasting mind. You've lost your mind. What are you thinking? Here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to understand. Are you listening? When God speaks to you and you know that you know that you know that God speaks to you, you don't need another man to validate it. Come on. Now I'll give you a caveat to that. If you're not accustomed to hearing the voice of God and you're not sure if it's the voice of God, I want you to go talk to Pastor Ken and he will tell you whether or not that's the voice of God. But if you know that you know that you know the voice of God, when the voice of God speaks to you, you need to be obedient. I quit my job. I sold my stuff. I let God determine my income status. And little by little by little by little, God began to set me free. He began to heal my heart. He began to show me that he was my security that my status as a child of God was the only status that I ever needed to walk in. He began to show me that I could trust him. He began to show me that I was enough without the stuff. And he began to show me that my father had been a good provider in the only way that he knew how. And he began to show me that I could trust the plan that he had for my life because he knew at what point money was going to send me into a ditch. And he said, I will show you the income level that I have set for you. And where I don't set it, I will provide for you. And as I get ready to close, I just, I want to tell you from experience that you can have all the money in the world. And if you are not rich towards God, it will not feel like enough. And you can have all the stuff that you could ever want. And if you are not rich towards God, it will not feel like enough. And you can work your fingers until you bleed. But you will still walk around without purpose. And you will feel empty until you continue and you learn to make him your source. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know what issues, what spiders have bitten you and what you've walked in with, but I do know this, if you're dealing with financial issues, status issues, stuff issues, enough issues, the issue is not money, it's your heart. And the good news about that is that there is a healer who is called the great physician. And he says, I have come today to heal hearts. And when he begins to heal your heart, he begins to tear the cobwebs down. He tears them down from your life so that you can begin to live and walk in freedom. You remember how I told you at the beginning of my message that my family and I enjoyed the corn maze and, and I said it's really kind of a metaphor for life. Well, what I didn't tell you is that day in the maze, we got stuck a lot. And I mean a lot, that's how I know about the whole bathroom thing, take it from me. We got stuck a lot. And when we got stuck, we would look to each other and we would say, we're stuck, how do we get out of this? And we stayed stuck for longer than we needed to because we were only trying to rely on each other. And as a result of that, the patterns that we would, would use to try to get out of the web only caught us further up in the corn maze. 
It reminds me of, of the time, I don't know, a year or so ago where my office used to be over here and it was the, the very first office when you walked into the right and my office was its own Jumanji. Like there were vines that would grow inside like, like Lisa nodding her head, yes, they, they, it was just nonsense. And I had been away for a week or so and I came back and as I opened the door, thankfully the sunlight kind of hit through the room and I could see that a spider had created a web that went from one corner of my office to the complete other corner of my office. Like that thing was massive and I know me. And so I went and found Pastor Kieran (laughs) and I said, PK, will you come and help me? Will you please come and help me tear down this web because I can't do it by myself. And you know, there in the maze, there had always been help available because right smack dab in the center of a maze, there was this guide that like sat on like a podium about 20 feet up. And all you had to do was look up at him and he would smile and he would nod and he would point you in the next direction of how to get out. Can I tell you that there is someone who sits on the throne of your life and he sits in the balcony seat so that he can see it all. And he doesn't say, aha, Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. He doesn't do that. He's waiting for you to look up and say, help me find the root of this. Help me find the way out. And I don't know if he's gonna ask you what he asked me to do. I I don't know if he's gonna ask you what he asked this man to do. I don't know if he's gonna ask you to sell everything you own and quit your job. But what I can tell you is that he will lead you because he is an individual God with an individual relationship with you. And he knows what works for you and what works for you and what works for you. And he knows the sin patterns that you just keep weaving over and over again. I'll tell you straight up, we didn't, I didn't get out of it all at one time. I got out of the biggest part of it about one time, but the lie was so deep. It was so deeply rooted that every so often I would go back and I would weave another cobweb. And he didn't say to me, there she goes again. He said, Tina, I'm still here. And we're just going to keep unweaving them and unweaving them, unweaving them until we kill that spider. Until we kill that spider. If you're struggling here today, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's going to say, hey friend, I want you to have a garage sale. And I want you to sell some of that stuff that you can breathe in your house again. He might say, hey, you know that trip to Starbucks every week? You could reinvest that and pay off your debt. He could say, hey friend, there's this thing called tithing. And when you tithe, there's a blessing that I put on your finances. And you might wanna try that. He, he might say, hey, did you know that we have a ministry called Elsa's House of Hope? And we have missionary partners all over the world that you could give to. Yeah that would invite blessing into your life because of your generosity. He could say to you, hey friend, why don't you take a Dave Ramsey class? Hey friend, get a sozo. I I don't know what he's gonna say to you. He might say, listen, you don't need another vacation or an outfit or a boat, but you've got somebody sitting right beside you in church that man, they could use a hand up. Listen, listen, listen to what the Father is saying to you today. If you're stuck in any area of your life, listen to what he's saying to you today. And when he speaks to you, don't stay stuck. Don't stay in the twist and in the turn in the dead end. Confess to him, this is where I'm stuck. And watch as he begins to move in your life. Why don't y'all stand with me? as we get ready to close. You see, when you figure out that you're stuck, when you figure out that you've bought into a lie, when you realize that there are cobwebs that have you so tightly wound that freedom doesn't even seem like an option, The only thing that you can do in that moment is to have the courage to say, God, I confess that I'm stuck. I confess that I'm living a lie. 
I confess that I've been bit by a spider. I confess, God, that I'm in a position in my life, Lord, that is not pleasing and honoring to you, and it's not bringing me freedom. And with that in mind, I'm going to ask our altar team to go ahead and make their way forward. And I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and get in position. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to this message. And maybe you need to respond to the topic. Perhaps you've got another spider and through this series, you're already recognizing that there is an area of bondage or there are cobwebs in your life that you need to be free from. And so whether it's this topic or any topic, that's what this prayer team is here to do. They're here to pray with you because when you confess it and you say, Father, this is my issue, the very next thing that you have to do is that you have to renounce the lie. You have to say, I confess that I'm believing a lie and I acknowledge that it's a lie, but you can't stop there. You've got to renounce the lie and you've got to say, I will not from this point moving forward, partner with that lie anymore. You've got to reject it. And everything that comes with it, the cobwebs, the lifestyle, you've got to reject it. And then you've got to replace it with truth. There's somebody in this room today that you walk in and you feel so ugly. And God says to you, you are beautiful. And there is somebody that walked in here today and you feel like you've got nothing to offer. And God says, you've got me living on the inside of you. And I am more than enough. And there is somebody that walked in here today that somebody has made you feel like you are not enough. And you have bought into the whisper that the enemy put into your ears. But it's not the truth. It's never been the truth. The truth is you are more than enough in him and through him. But maybe the greatest lie that we all have believed at one point or another is that we can sit on the throne of our own life and we can be our own God. When God says, there is none other than me, it's just me, it's always been me. And so I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. And if you're here today and you realize that you have been sitting on the throne of your own life, trying to fix your own problems, trying to work your way into heaven, trying to be good enough. God wants you to know that he came to die for you in the form of his son, Jesus. He died a horrible, agonizing death on the cross that was deserved by you and for me. And he says, when you place your faith in me, I will set you free. I will forgive your sin and I will begin to heal your life. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.